So it's, it's May, and that's not only, you know, time when we have lots of wedding anniversaries and that kind of thing. Uh, it's also that time when you got to figure out, uh, what do I do about those people graduating? Do I, do I give them a gift, you know? And if you're graduating, you know, do I send thank you notes? And what is the, what is the right thing to do when you're giving and receiving and exchanging gifts? Uh, you know, uh, more than likely, you probably grew up with some tradition about giving and receiving. You had some rules that probably your mom uh, emphasized to you. You know, if somebody gives you something, you say no. And uh, they say again, you could say no. And then if they say it the third time, you say yes. Or maybe if you get some gift or you go somewhere, you, you, you have to send a thank you note. And uh, there's all kinds of traditions about giving and receiving. And, and, it's uh, a lot of it is just our way of operating as human beings. And God doesn't speak to what's the right way, you know, how much should you give someone in graduation and when should you send or should you send. God doesn't speak to those particular things. But as we look at God's word today, we're in Ruth chapter 2 in verses 14 through 23. God answers a deeper need. And he talks about giving and receiving and shows us not, you know, not how much, but actually how to give and how to receive and what's most important in that above all else. And so if you would read with me, Ruth chapter 2, verses 14 through 23, this is God's word. At mealtime... Boaz said to her, come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she rose again to glean, Boaz commanded his servants saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man whom I worked, with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And Ruth, the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz. 
in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. Lord, we pray thanking you for your word, that it comes to us true and trustworthy. It is evidence of your faithfulness, that you have preserved it for us for thousands of years, and that you have inspired it so that it might meet us in our needs, that it might teach us, that it might transform us. Would you do that today, O Lord, to make us more like Jesus? We pray in his precious name. Amen. So reflecting on, on where we are in the story of Ruth, Pastor William led us through the first part of chapter two, and you can make this all one scene, but it's kind of long, and so we broke it into two parts, and you know, Ruth has been there, uh, showed up to the field, is ready to work, and pick up the story as it's a time to eat, and Boaz offers her some food. But the, the larger context is they're back in Israel again. They're in the, and around the city of Bethlehem, which is Naomi's hometown, where she had left when there was a famine, and now they're back. And the larger context than that is that this is not long at all after God had delivered his people from Egypt and led them into the promised land, crossed the Red Sea, uh, and then afterwards wandered around the wilderness and were brought over the Jordan, probably just decades before this, as Joshua led them in. And it, in fact, Boaz, I'm sure, must have heard those stories from his mother Rahab, who was there in the city of Jericho in that first battle, which wasn't much of a battle because the Lord just miraculously delivered that city, but spared Rahab and her family because she trusted in the Lord, because she believed that God was at work, he provided for her. He kept her safe. In her story, you can read it more in Joshua chapter 2 and Joshua chapter 6. You can read about her in Hebrews eleven thirty-one and James two twenty-five. But in that context of Israel and God bringing them together into the promised land, At the same time, God had given them a law and some principles, ways of living, and a value for family, a value for staying in one place, so much so that uh, even in the same plot of land, that they would do various things to make that happen. There were laws about giving land back after you had sold it to cover debts. There were laws about raising up. Uh, next generation, if a, a man died without children and left a widow behind, all of those kind of things expressing in ways that seem very foreign to us for the most part, the importance of family, the importance of the people. And one of the amazing things is here we see Ruth, an outsider, being brought into that, being cared for graciously by Boaz. I find it very challenging, having grown up in the United States in a very individualistic society where 
whether I was explicitly taught this or not, I learned that you help people who are willing to help themselves. You know, that you, uh, you only help them if, if you think they deserve it. And in fact, you resist efforts to be helped because you want to make it on your own. And that's a very foreign concept to the scriptures. And I think it's the main message in our passage today is that how, how do we handle, how do we approach the idea of giving to others and receiving from others? And the reality is that the, the Lord has faithfully taken care of you, his people. And since that's true, your approach to giving and receiving will be affected by his grace both in the giving and in the receiving. And that's, that's what I want us to unpack today as we look at this passage a little more deeply, uh, adopting a more biblical mindset for how we approach helping people and being helped, giving and receiving. And let's start with, with giving, which I'm calling sacrificial giving, which is that kind of giving that wants what is best for the receiver. Sacrificial giving wants what is best for the receiver. We see this in verses 14 through 19. In particular, when, when you're wanting what's best for the other person, you're going to provide what's truly needed. If you look at verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, to Ruth, Come here, that, that you may eat of the bread, and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied, and had some left. You know, he didn't just give her food, and just a little bit. He gave her a lot. He gave her more than enough that she could be satisfied, that she could be full He did more than that, though. He, if you look at verse 15, when she leaves, he instructs his servants to let her glean among the sheaves. Do not insult her. Verse 16, purposely pull out for her some of the grain, verse 16, from the bundles, and, and leave it that she may glean. Do not rebuke her. So that, verse 17, she, she gleaned into the evening and beat out what she had gleaned, separating the kernels from the stalk of wheat. And it was about an ephah of barley, a big container, which would be a lot based on Ruth's or Naomi's response when she gets home. When, when you're giving sacrificially, you're not going to be stingy, right? You're, you're, you're going to give in abundance. It's a very different mindset, right? You're going to give what people need and probably beyond that. But there's more to it than that, really. It's not just giving what is best for the receiver in that situation. It's, it's taking notice of the situation itself. Thinking beyond just the immediate need where he does feed her. He does provide grain for her. But notice what else he does. He, he, he says, come here and eat, you must be hungry. But he anticipates what might happen for her. And that's why he gives these instructions 
to his uh, employees, essentially, right? Verse 15, he says, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not insult her. You know, the, the poor of the land were supposed to pick up what was left over, that you didn't uh, glean all the way to the corners. You know, you weren't to have the most efficient operation possible in the land of Israel so that the poor could get some food. And Boaz is going beyond that, and it seems to me he anticipates the fact that she's from Moab. She, doesn't, she didn't grow up around here. She doesn't know how we operate. And so he says to his workers, basically, cut her some slack. Verse 15, let her glean even among the sheaves. She's not supposed to do that. She's supposed to gather in other areas. Do not insult her. And in fact, what does he say? Verse 16, purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Don't insult her. The, the sense is humiliate her. Call her out in front of everybody. Don't rebuke her. You know, if she goes beyond where she's supposed to, just let it go. Don't press the issue. Don't insult her. Don't rebuke her. Because Boaz is very aware of Ruth's situation. He said as much back in verse 11 when she showed up. He showed up while she was there working. Verse 11, Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. You know sacrificial giving is, is very much about not just meeting the immediate need and not just stingily sticking to the letter. It's, it's about the sense of giving abundantly and, and considering the circumstances and the situation. Boaz essentially is showing compassion, empathy, sympathy, thinking about what it must be like for Ruth to be in a strange land, far away from home with different customs, and he's entering into her world. He's not requiring her to jump through all the hoops and to know everything you're supposed to know about how you gather in those days and, and just chastising her when she falls short. He's considering her circumstances, entering into her world, thinking about her actions and how she has cared for her mother-in-law and given up so much. In, in essence, sacrificial giving, if, if we're really wanting what's best for the receiver, if we are the giver, it's really about understanding the whole situation. It's, it's about having that heart of compassion. It takes some imagination. It takes some effort. And very often, we just don't make that effort. Right? One of the biggest temptations as you give is to give from some form of selfishness and make it more about ourselves without a consideration of the one who is getting the gift. You know, the biggest way this works itself out uh, is when, when we give junk to the needy, right? You feel bad about stuff, 
you know, you don't want to throw it away. So you, those, those people need stuff, right? So give them the shirt with no buttons on it or whatever, right? Like, that's, that's not sacrificial giving. That's guilt giving. That's more about me. And my, my wife worked in the, uh, the free store at the seminary where people in the community could just donate stuff and seminary students could go and just pick through it and, and take things um, and, and be provided for. And, and the biggest part of her job and the most frustrating was that she had to make numerous trips from the store where people dropped off donations to the dumpster across the parking lot because people just give junk, broken things. You know, that's, that's not sacrificial giving. That's not about the receiver of the gift. You know, very often we'll give things that, uh, that become more of a project, really. They become a burden because we're not thinking through. We think about doing a good deed and a general idea that there are needy people. The sacrificial giving doesn't give a burden. It gives the best. You know, could you imagine if, if, you know, if we started just taking new clothes to the thrift store? If, 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 you, if you donated the good things, if you went to the store to just buy good things. And there are folks who do this. I'm not saying uh, we all have this issue, but that is the challenge. Sacrificial giving is about giving from the best, the first. You know, think about what Boaz is doing here in his fields. It's, it's the harvest. It's the beginning of the harvest. Things are coming in. And he's taking from what's already been bundled up and packed away, and he's saying, just pull it out. Throw it on the ground. Undo the work you did so it was easier for her to gather it up. You know, that kind of first fruits of giving from the top, not the bottom, is sacrificial. He's sacrificing profits. He's sacrificing uh, a future supply for himself. Sacrificial giving is, is about that, about entering the other person's world, about wanting what's best for the receiver, taking notice of their situation, and making it about them. And that's a hard, that, that, that's a hard thing to do, but it's also a skill and, and we can learn this at home. We can practice this at home. You, you don't need to just have to think about poor people out there or needy people out there or whatever. There, there are needs to be met in your own home. You, you can very easily think about this in terms of just what actually helps other family members. Pay attention to what they find helpful. You know, we, we, we have challenges with a large household that some people love gifts and feel loved when they get a special gift. Other people need words of affirmation. Other people want quality time and acts of service, you know. But to pay attention to loving the people in your own household and figuring out what really meets their needs, what helps them. That doesn't mean when, when you're meeting needs that you only do what other people think they want, right? Very often when you're helping people, it, it, the sacrificial giving means you're, you're going to take a risk on the one hand of being taken advantage of and perhaps enabling someone to do something harmful. On the other hand, of giving from what you have. 
So how do you know whether you're giving sacrificially or, or selfishly? Well, think about your motives. What am I doing? You know, am I thinking about the other person? You know, ask yourself, is this really going to help them? Am I adding a burden to them or am I relieving them? You know, think about, am I willing to give this and have it be gone? Am I really okay with them doing whatever they want with it? Am I really letting it go or do I have some strings attached to it? Do I have some expectations of receiving something in return? Um, that's not necessarily always bad, but it says there's something more than an interest in the other person. There's something going on in your own heart. Examine your standards for what you do when you give. And it takes, it takes effort. It's not an easy thing. It's a skill that you can work on. And it's, in fact, amazing when someone gives sacrificially like that. And, and, and you know, if you've noticed what people need and you begin to meet those needs, people notice that. And that's Ruth's or Naomi's situation, right? She's like, may he who took notice of you, in verse 19, she says, may he be blessed. Which transitions us into moving from being a sacrificial giver to a grateful receiver. A grateful Receiver, someone who is grateful in receiving. Sacrificial in giving, now grateful in receiving. This is someone who, very much like giving, wants the best for the receiver. The receiver wants the best for the giver. That seems kind of obvious, like a no-brainer, right? She says two times, verse 19. Uh, her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. You know, someone clearly noticed you, Ruth, and was gracious to you. May God be gracious to them. So she said to her mother-in-law, with whom she'd worked, the name of the man was Boaz. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Two times, Naomi says, may, may he be blessed. You know, we use that word blessed a lot. And essentially what it means, biblically, is to be in a better place. May it be better for him. He has been gracious to us. I want what's best for him. And that, does, that seems like a no-brainer, but do you not find sometimes that when you receive a gift, maybe you envy a little bit what the other person has? Do you not find yourself sometimes a little judgy? Like, oh, sure, yeah, they gave us that much. But I mean, really, you know, they have so much. They could have given us more than that, really, don't you think? You know, that's not really wanting what's best for the giver. You know, if I, if I had that much money, I'd be super generous. I'd be giving stuff all around, right? That may all be true, right? You might be like that. That might be who you are. But to be a grateful receiver, you're going to want what's best for the person who gives. Which when we're envious or judgmental, we're saying, in essence, right, they don't deserve what they have. I don't think they should have what they have. And it very much makes it about us. We want to want what's best for the giver. But there's, there's more to it than that. Like a grateful receiving not, not only wants what's best for the giver, but it also takes notice of who is working. Grateful receiving takes notice that the Lord is working in all giving. So you praise God for it. Again, look at Naomi here. 
verse 20. She says in the middle, May he be blessed of the Lord, who's not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. She sees that the Lord is behind this gracious act of Boaz in providing for Ruth in the field in abundance as Ruth comes home, you know, maybe with her shawl just burdened down. You know, she probably didn't have a giant basket, but she's got so much. She's bringing it home and she dumps it on the floor. And Naomi's like, where did you work? That is a huge amount. And, and, and Ruth's like, oh, wait, wait, hold on. I got some in my pocket here. And she pulls out the equivalent of, you know, uh, half of, or maybe a whole Wawa, uh, the big one, the classic one, not the shorty. She's got like a half of one of those, right? And she's like, here, I got leftover food. I, I already ate like two shorties, and I've got this much left. And Naomi's like, wow, this is amazing. May whoever took notice of you be blessed. May the Lord bless them because... The Lord has not forgotten his kindness. Right? The first time when she says that, did you notice? It's, it's very much about the person who noticed Ruth. Where'd you glean today? Where'd you work? Verse 19. May who, he who took notice of you be blessed. Verse 20. May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness for the living and the dead. That she sees in this gracious act from Boaz, she sees the Lord as the true giver behind it. That the Lord is the one who is giving and she's thankful and grateful. This, I think, is, is maybe the turning point for Naomi. I think this is the place where the light bulb finally comes on, where the darkness in her heart really begins to recede, where she begins to believe and acknowledge that God is still doing good in the world. Despite all of her challenges, the Lord is faithful. That he is at work. Yes, amen. And this seems to be the place where that just clicks in. Where she says explicitly, the Lord has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. That she sees... In this selfless act of Boaz in giving generously, that the Lord is working behind it. And she sees that, I think, because she's already experienced Ruth's selflessness in committing to her and being with her. And you remember she, in chapter 1, said, I went away full, I came back empty, and there's Ruth right beside her, right? She's like not even seeing the graciousness of Ruth that God had provided for her a companion to see her through the journey and to be with her who's giving up so much to be with Naomi. She doesn't even see her, but now, now in, in, in another act of kindness, she finally, her eyes start to open and she's embracing the fact that God's still good. God's still at work. And you realize sometimes that's what happens. You might love people who are walking through the dark night of the soul and they feel like God is against them, that there's nothing good happening in the world. And you're like, what about this? What about that? What about this? And those are all very true. But sometimes, man, it just takes some time. That's part of grieving. It's part of struggling in this world that sometimes it takes a while. It doesn't change the fact, though, that God is still at work and doing good. 
And any good gift you receive is from the Lord, as James puts it, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning, no shifting, no changing. But it comes, you see, in the receiving that she realizes oh, there's God's grace in this. And so recognize that if you're giving sacrificially, you're a part of what God's doing. That's why you need to not make it about yourself, but about the other person. That when, when we are truly giving selflessly, there's no other explanation for it. It makes it that much more obvious that God has to be behind it. Because why would anyone else be so generous? Why would anyone else be so kind, so sacrificial? It's only because they have understood that God is at work, and it's only because God is at work in and through them. That as, as, as you become a, a grateful receiver and recognizing all these good gifts, you very often then become a, a, a gracious, sacrificial giver. Even unbelievers get this, right? The, the whole pay it forward thing. Right? The, people understand this. The generosity has a tendency to breed more generosity. The kindness multiplies more kindness. More often than not, there's, of course, always exceptions, right? But this is the pattern. And in fact, I would say this is really where we all begin our journey to sacrificial giving and grateful receiving is when we realize that there is a good God at work still, that he is faithful, that he has, as she put it here, by the way, not withdrawn his kindness. That word kindness is that wonderful Hebrew word chesed which is not only fun to say, chesed, sorry about spitting on you guys down there. <laughs> chesed is fun to say, but it's also profound in its meaning. It, it is a word that's hard to translate and, and encompass it, and people debate it, scholars over the years, say, oh, it means this, means that, means that. It, it has in it just this sense of, uh, of, of faithfulness, of loyalty, uh, of of concern and other focus freely given for the good of the other person, or for the good of the other party. That this, this chesed, this, some would translate it as loving kindness over the years, some would translate it as faithfulness. Here it's just simply kindness. That this, this expression of, of a love that is focused on others less than on self. That's, that's the expression here, this kindness. It's when we understand the Lord's kindness, his chesed, has not stopped. That it continues to this day, no matter the challenges, no matter the struggles that we face, no matter what's going on in our lives, the Lord has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead, she says. So when you realize the Lord is still working, that the Lord is faithful, you recognize that all the good gifts are from him. That your next breath is from him. That the life that you've lived so far is from him. Any hope for the future is from him. That, that this is the God who gives and gives and gives. And he always gives what is good and right. And if there's trials and temptations, there's struggles in your life, that he's working those together for good. That he is that kind of a God. He's the God who gives so, so much. The God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that so whoever believes in him, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It is this God who says, here, I've got a meal for you. He says, come, take and eat. 
Why do you buy what does not satisfy? Come, freely receive. He says, come, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That blood of the covenant, that covenant language, that's, that's chesed language. That God is the faithful one who entered into an agreement with Abraham and said, I will, I will be your God. You'll be my people. Abraham enters into that with him and he can't keep it. But God himself passes through those torn animals, the sign of the covenant. God himself alone passes through in the smoking fire pod and the, and the fire and the pillar. Through those split animals saying, you know what? I know you can't do it. I will be the one to do it. I will remain faithful though you remain faithless. I will be like these dead animals ripped apart. Because I'm faithful and I will never give up on you. And I will take your place even. And he says, I will give even my only son. He offers you that. The message, I hope you don't hear me saying, is give like Boaz receive like Naomi. That's not what I'm saying. What the message is, is believe in the Lord's faithfulness. Believe in the chesed, the loving kindness of God, and you will become a grateful receiver. Because if you start from that framework where you've got nothing to offer God except the empty hands of a beggar, and you see him fill them up, you see him take away your sin and your guilt and your shame. And he fills you with this abundance. Even if you're physically hungry, you can have a peace in that. Even if you're still within the challenges and struggles, you can see there's a goodness in that. But, but the reality is that you then have to engage in the ways that God works. You have to know the promises of God. You have to be like a Boaz growing up and hearing those promises from his mother who received the grace of God because she believed in the promises of God, that he was who he said he was, and he spared her. Not because she deserved it, because he's a God of grace, and she believed in a God of grace. So Boaz hears that growing up. You need to hear that growing up. Parents, you need to tell your children the stories of the Word of God as the truth of God. You need to believe them and receive them yourself and grow up reading these. you got to read your Bibles. you got to pray. you got to be in worship with God's people. You have to listen to His promises and know them because you're going to miss His faithfulness. If you don't understand the way he works, if you don't spend time with him, you're going to miss his chesed. I love saying it. Chesed. His kindness, his love, his faithfulness. You're going to come to communion and not know what's this all about. Is this some bread? Is it a cup? And not realize what this is, is God's grace to us to say, look, I've invited you to a meal and I'm going to fill you up. This is a promise and a pledge that there will be a greater wedding to come. There'll be this banquet where you will never be hungry again and you will feast and have all that you need. But the way to it is to believe my promises. To believe that Jesus is the one who came to set you free. To believe that Jesus is the one who gave his body for your sins. The one who rose victorious and has sent his spirit to set you free. That you might live for him. That you might receive with gratefulness what God has provided. And might in fact become a sacrificial giver. That this God would work in you because he's faithfully taking care of you. He's met your most profound needs and beyond that, 
And so your approach to giving and receiving has to be affected by his grace. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your, your grace that you have given abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Shape our hearts, starting from that place of recognizing more profoundly today what we receive by your grace. Even just another breath. Despite so many breaths we've spent tearing down others, you continue to give us life. You give us food despite our temptations to greed and stinginess. You give us a job. You give us friends. You give us a kind word. You give us a hug from someone who loves us. You give us your word. You give us a place to worship. You give us a freedom to gather together. You give us people who care about you to sing your praises along with. You give us so, so much. Lord, work in our hearts a greater gratefulness that it doesn't, it can't help but transform us into more sacrificial givers, not just financially, Lord, but with our time, with our energy, with our attention, and with the stuff that you've provided, Lord. Move in us to believe that you are faithful, that you have not given up your kindness, you've not withdrawn it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.